DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in to Ute Insider, Frank Dolce, analyst for The Zone Sports Network. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Frank, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. How are you? Guys are doing well. yeah, I'm doing well, but you and I are bitter enemies this week. I hate you. Yes. Yes, we are, but I can't help it because I still like you a lot. So. It was an inter- I thought I thought you had an interesting discussion going there about the uh, taking sports too far. I certainly I I would count myself in that crowd at one point in my life. Hopefully, <laughs> I, I figure I've tried to figure it out a little bit. I'm still not perfect at it. That that's for sure because I get too invested in all of this stuff but Do you really because when I, I i when i talk to you you seem like you're kind of above it all you get more than anyone you're not on the team anymore when you're on the team watching film lifting weights running you're sweating right next to those guys and we don't have any of that investment so why would we 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 need to do we need to do this well it's not we i'm not up there lifting weights you know that's a funny it's funny that you mention that because uh, over over time, the the thing that has been most influential on how I uh, approach these games is uh, is the way that I've watched other people, other people who never took a snap, other people who never shot a free throw in in the competition. I, I've watched how crazy and ridiculous ridiculous they act like i don't understand what their investment is and why they that goes to this whatever extreme like the the thought of their team winning or losing is some reflection on their life somehow like you're a winner or a loser based on whether or not the team you're cheering for is a winner or a loser i that has been the most that has been the most influential thing on on how do i i try to approach these games these days. I mean, I yeah, absolutely. I want Utah to win. I want Utah to win all the time. And I think maybe more than anything else, I, I try to say, well, I want Utah to play well. I want Utah to perform well. I want, you know, to, I think there are more important things than winning and losing, like the effort and the, the stuff like that. So anyway, I it, it, is an, it is an interesting, I think it's an interesting topic and interesting discussion and Man, if we could figure that out, how to how to go out, play a good game, be super competitive, and then you know figure out that we're still generally world, you know, in a universal view, we're still all on the same team kind of thing. That would be a, I think that would be a huge stride for us. Yeah, one of my favorite bands, Zach Brown Band's got a song out. We're all in the same yeah. boat, and yeah, uh, talking about people and and how. Uh, we, we need to find more commonalities instead of differences. Because I agree with you as far as the effort. If, uh, if you're sloppy, you're undisciplined, uh, that, that to me is bothersome. Because I think that what I'm looking for, like and we'll take the University of Utah as an example, and I, and I feel a certain 
I don't know, closeness or kinship to the program. I've been following it. I know the co- some of the coaches I know very well and, you know, to an, to an extent a little bit socially even. And so, you know, I want to see them succeed. Uh, but success can come – sometimes I try to look beyond. You know, did you – were you disciplined? Did, did you do the things that you're supposed to do? Because sometimes you can just get beat and, and a team can just play a little bit better than you, whereas – other times, I mean, you fumble the ball seven times like you did and some stupid stuff. And even though you won, it's like, wow, man, that, that really wasn't characteristic of what we've come to know mm-hmm. out of a Whittingham team who the man is so disciplined and regimented and doing the things that they're supposed to do and all that stuff and graduating kids and, and all that stuff that they talk about really is real life. And those things are important. So that's the way I approach it as far as that goes. And and that's what I expect from the Utes. And we didn't get that earlier in the season. And now, from the football perspective on the field, we're starting to get it. So maybe, for whatever reason, they were just a, it's a slow start this year. My thought for you, are they past that now? And who they were last Saturday, is this who they are? Well, that, that's also a good question. <laughs> which um, brings probably up another discussion about how, how people manage coaches in, in, in this. I mean, a few weeks ago, there's been times during his career when Coach Whittingham has been on, on the hot seat, like super hot seat. And, but you look over the course of his, the entirety of his career and you think, well, you know, wow, he's, he's done pretty well. Like that's, to think that he would be on the hot seat at some point, you think, well, maybe that's not, Maybe that's not fair. Kalani Satake, same way. I mean, I think Kalani, I, I've always been a fan of Kalani's, but but he's he was on the hot seat not too long ago. Yep. Um, and he seems to have his team kind of rolling along, and that talk is, you know, now there's talk about him moving along. So it's, it's just interesting. I don't know. I don't know what this football team is. I mean, if if they perform the way they performed Saturday against USC, and I, I you know, I think it's, it's a, a USC team that's in disarray. So maybe that's not a comp- comp- perfect example of what this team could be, but, but if they perform that way, if they play the way they did at the line of scrimmage and al- offensively, especially, and then allow everything else to open up, then I think it's a, I think Utah's a really tough team to beat. Uh, the, the, the fascinating thing about, sports and following these guys who are, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old is, is that, can they achieve that standard every single week? Uh, I, and especially with all the stuff that, that they have to deal with. So I think this is a team that has a lot of talent, a lot of potential. It feels like they turned a page, they got onto the right page and, have the ability to be very competitive in the South. In fact, I would say that, that I, you know, Utah has jumped up in, in my expectation about where they'll finish in the South. So I'm optimistic. I'm oh, really yeah, yeah. optimistic about this team, but I just, you know, I, I need a better sample size than one game against a team in USC that I think is in, in a little bit of trouble. 
It's cool that they got the first win in the Coliseum. It is the third straight game that, it, that USC has lost in the Coliseum. They are clearly in a little bit of trouble. So I think yeah. the thing that is not so much worrying about what they did to USC and Hanalik versus USC, just versus themselves. In previous game, we saw offensive linemen stepping the wrong way. We saw people blowing up running plays as the handoff was happening. And we didn't see any of that against USC. Like, guys knew what their assignment was, and they did it at least at some minimal basic level. And that's a big step forward. You've probably played with teammates who didn't know the plays and ran the wrong way, stepped the wrong way. And so just getting that straightened out seems like a major step forward because it was very unlike Utah to have those issues going on, let alone going on for so long. I Yeah, I've had guys uh, who... I had a guy regularly turn around and ask me as we were walking to the line of scrimmage, hey, what's the count? (laughs) We just broke the huddle, and I give him the count. You know, it's usually on one or two or some other interesting thing. And then we break the huddle, and we're literally walking to the line of scrimmage, and he'd turn around and say, hey, what's the count? That was my center. So you you talk about (laughs) You talk about a, an uncomfortable situation like, wait a second, he doesn't remember the count. Is he going to remember what is happening on this play? That transformation, I think, for Utah, Utah's offensive line was the most significant transformation I've seen out of this team. And, and by the way, that one piece opened up, seemed to open up everything else. All of a sudden, now you don't have question marks about the quarterback play and you don't have questions about wide receivers getting separation downfield and you don't have questions about uh, running backs only averaging under three yards a carry it's it's just the most important position group on the football field offensively and so the way that they made that step forward you know, dialing five, dialing in five guys even having to replace one of those guys midway through the football game and the the way that they played together and worked as a unit, I think, was the most significant transformation for Utah football this year. That's going to be the key for Utah moving forward. So, I, I mean, I just feel like it's safe to say as, as far as that offensive line goes, as far as that offensive line leads this team, that's exactly how far this Utah football team will go. Uh, it's just that, much, that, that important to this crew. What's crazy to me, as I look at the history of Utah football since I've been involved uh, living in this uh, market for almost three decades now, is to think that uh, this is the halfway point coming up on Saturday. They had the bye. Other teams have already gotten there, but this will be their sixth game, so obviously they played 12. And with that in mind, I still don't know who the number one running back is. And in the history of Utah, since I've been following it, by this point in the season, we've had a clear, defined answer. But in my mind, we don't. I think that's crazy. Don't do you? Yeah, yeah. I so this this football season is for Utah is strange in a lot of ways. I think, and one of those is that uh, because it's been the foundation of Utah's offense for so long, especially under the Coach Whittingham era the running back position seems to, to um, be settled by game two. It's always, we always go into the season with two, maybe three guys, and then two or maybe three games in, there's a guy. 
and he just has emerged and has figured it out, and then we just roll with that. Uh, but but that hasn't necessarily happened. Maybe there's more parity in the running back group. Maybe it's just the issue of ball security, and and there really isn't that much parity. But but there you know there was one guy in particular that that couldn't hold on to the ball. So I think Thomas separated himself a little bit. Uh, but again, that, that, that is, he's, you know, to me, he's one fumble away from standing next to coach Whittingham on a Saturday afternoon for most of, most of the football game, but the, he very positive performance against USC for Thomas. Uh, I still like, I still like Bernard. I think that uh, he needs to get healthy a little bit, but I think he is a very solid running back. I still like Pledger, I think that he's shown the ability to provide some spark for Utah in, in the offensive backfield. But if I had to rank it at this point, it would I think it would be a clear Thomas uh, and then Pledger Bernard as guys that uh, come in to, to give him a, a breather at some point during the football game. So I know the quarterback gets most of the credit and most of the blame. I have uh, said for a long time the Utah receivers, not a very good group, don't get separation. There were multiple plays against USC, and maybe this does have a lot to do with USC's defense, but there were multiple plays that Utah receivers got themselves open, Frank. A couple guys getting deep, a couple steps beyond the secondary, on the touchdown pass when... um, in, in the first half, uh, I'm blanking on the receivers, his first touchdown catch. But uh, he got to the Money near – Yeah, he got to the near sideline. He got separation. Like, guys got themselves open, and that's been an issue. Were you as impressed with the receivers? Absolutely. I mean, Monty Parks caught, caught that touchdown pass, and I'm looking through the media guide like, where the heck did Money Parks come from? <laughs> you know, where, Florida. Where's this guy been? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, this 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 is a. It's an interesting. It was interesting the way the game unfolded and Utah being able to throw the ball. First of all, did you did you see Cam Rising running for his life in that game? Nope, I didn't because I didn't see it. So I'm and running. So that yeah, running, he ran a fantastic touchdown. But yeah. but the issue to me is okay. So all of a sudden. Offensive line play is really good, really solid. Quarterback has time to make his reads, go through his progressions downfield, works out of a clean pocket. Because he has time to throw, now the receivers have time to get separation. It's really difficult for a defensive back. I mean, I've said this a lot, but but Deion Sanders may be the only guy that could hold on to a guy for the entirety of a play. Defensive backs, it's just it's it's an unfair advantage for a receiver to to especially if time starts running. I mean, you get four or five seconds downfield, it's hard to hold on to that receiver for so long. So, offensive line play is good. Quarterback has time to to throw the ball downfield. Receivers have time to get separation. I think all of those factors were were important. The other thing I think we have to consider is. You know how how much was USC preparing for a, an aerial attack from Utah? Because Utah just hasn't demonstrated the ability to throw the ball downfield. So I mean, USC super talented. I don't. I, it didn't seem like they were 
you know, super engaged in stopping the pass. Like, I don't know that they had prepared extremely well for that because Utah hadn't shown the ability to do it. So I, I think the, we've seen what can happen with this passing game. Now can Utah do that consistently? Because I guarantee Arizona State, Oregon State, UCLA, everybody else on the schedule now is going to prepare to stop the passing game. And you, we'll, we'll see how Utah responds to that. So, got a key for the ASU game real quick before we let you go here. What are you thinking? What are you looking for? Well, there's two games on the schedule that that really make me have a little bit, uh, you know, I'm a little nervous about for the rest of the schedule. I mean, all of the games are, are, are tough. I don't, I don't like the thought of them playing Oregon State. I think that's a good football team, even though they kind of imploded against Washington State. Um, obviously, Oregon is maybe the most talented team in, in the Pac-12, and so that's a, that's a tough one. But there's two teams like UCLA and Arizona State are, are teams that make me a little nervous because, um, one, because I think offensively they're, they're pretty good, uh, can establish a running game, but most importantly, they have quarterbacks that have significant mobility. And Utah, I, 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 want, to see, I want to see Utah be able to contain that, that type of quarterback, and I haven't seen that yet. So that's a concern. Um, and I thought, you know, Slovis doesn't present that problem against USC and then, or with USC. And so Utah, Utah pretty well hemmed in that, that, that offense, although they just have almost 500 yards of total offense, which is kind of funny, a funny stat to look at. So I think that's a big key. Utah have to, has to, you know, try to make those teams, especially Arizona State one dimensional and then contain the quarterback. If they can do that, that's a big that's a big issue to me. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball, same thing. It just starts up front for Utah. You have to be solid at the line of scrimmage. I think Arizona State's very athletic in the defensive on the defensive side of the ball, tough up front. So I'd love to see Utah be able to establish a run and then work that play action pass game because I think if they can do that, then they give themselves a significant chance to win. If Utah plays on the level that they did against USC, uh, I, I favor Utah in this game, uh, especially if Utah can create a couple turnovers. If it goes the other way, if it's Utah that we saw in the first three weeks of the season, then, then it's going to be a tough outing on Saturday night. Frank, we'll let you go. We appreciate the time. Don't get too wound up about your team, okay? <laughs> the, mo- the team I get most wound up about these days are just my kids' teams, and then I'm the dumb parent on the sideline yelling at you know for red cards from the referee. But but I try to temper that as well. Most of the other stuff I'm pretty good at. Frank Dolce, Ute Insider and Analyst for the Zone Sports Network. Thank you, Frank. Coming up, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst. His weekly visit is next. Reaction to John Gruden resigning. We'll talk with Lincoln in a minute. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Angela Lansbury, Bed Knobs and Brewsticks. It wasn't raining yet, but it was definitely a little misty on that warm November night. And my heart was pounding, my inner voice resounding, begging me to turn away. And then you casually walked in the room 
and I was twisted in the web of my desire for you. What the hell is that? <laughs> that is being blindsided. You guys all make fun of me like I'm the only person that had a crush on Angela Lansbury. You are the only person that, that had is, a crush on Angela That is not true. No, it is pretty much true. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows. 2022 budget planning is underway. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving check while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Lincoln, good morning. DJ, PK, it's LK, all day. Here we go again. How you guys doing? <laughs> okay, we will talk some football with you. You know we have to talk yeah, I know. I the know. big news, right? It is the headline. And sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you get a question, and you can hear the question and think, man, it's loaded with so much stuff, but what I really want to tell them is over here, but that doesn't really answer the question. But it's really the most important thing. There's a lot of facets to this, and there's a lot of different ways to go. What to you is is the most important one that I should be asking you about. I, I'm, I'm honestly still trying to process what I found out in the last 48 hours. Actually, go back to the beginning of the weekend. Um, you know, first of all, not that it's, it's part of it, but, you know, my, my flight on, uh, to go to Las Vegas was canceled by Southwest Airlines. So I was part of one of the 2,000 flights that were canceled over the weekend. So I had to drive to Vegas from Phoenix, which is about a four-and-a-half-hour, five-hour drive, back and, and back after the game. Uh, it was an, an abomination of a performance by the Raiders, lost to what I think is a, a pretty decent Bears team, all compounded with this information. So it was trying to process everything. And then yesterday, hearing the, 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 the remarks and the stuff, the rest of the emails that were shared between Bruce Allen and, and and Rich, I mean, not Rich, uh, John Gruden, um, it's been a little overwhelming. I, I, I worked for both of these guys. Bruce Allen was the team president when I was playing at the Raiders. Part of the reason they got me over from the Falcons to the Raiders was Bruce Allen, along with Al Davis, and John Gruden was a coach and had probably, you know, four of my best years playing under his uh, coaching or in a sort of coaching tree, the people that worked around him. Never once did I see an inkling of the information that I gathered or I got from the emails or, you know, heard about over the last uh, couple of days. So this is all surprising to me. I don't know what to make of it. The first, you know, first one we heard on, on Friday, you know, the email about DeMarie Smith, the, the, the executive producer or executive director of the NFLPA, you know, I'm like, okay, well, you know, sometimes you have a little bit of slip-up. Uh, and it was, you know, when he wasn't in the league, so, you know, Connie gave him a little bit of a pass. Didn't necessarily allow, but just, you know, wanted more information. Didn't have enough right now to make a, to, to make a, a judgment. And then the rest of them. And in this day and climate, uh, you can't have that. I mean, you've got professional organizations that are changing all of their, you know, uh, ideology. They're changing all their graphics and everything else to try to be more quote-unquote, politically correct, you can't have homophobic slurs and, you know, and, and talking about people and stuff like that, like that, and racist slurs. You can't have that. You can't tolerate that. So with that being said, 
was really surprised last night when the news came down from Mark Davis and the Raiders that they're letting him go. Uh, but same point, understanding why they had to let him go. Yeah, in my mind, as I read through it, and I don't have a depth of it because it's happened so quick, but the, just the headlines, basically, you, you ask yourself, does the punishment fit the crime? And at least for me, and it's a personal opinion, so take it for what it's worth, but I think the answer is yes. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I, I think it is yes, and I think it is, you know, what, what you have to... It's part of the times. You know, the, the fact is, is that we're trying to become a better country, I guess. And we're trying to focus on things that for people for a long time, people just let slide and allow. And it's created some, you know, uh, some separation and respect. And, and, and we, need, we don't need more hate out there. We need more love out there. We need more kindness and happiness and tolerance, if you will. Uh, so, you know, having these remarks made by somebody who's in a very visible position uh, and one of the more you know, popular, uh, iconic teams in professional sports, just professional sports alone because it's the entertainment, you, you can't have that factor you know, hovering over someone's head. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, joining us. I think the, um, you know, I think the next chapter, the bigger story to look at here is the league will punish players and the league will punish coaches, but will the league hold owners accountable the same way? And I read some stuff about that last night, you know, the 650,000 emails, and there are people who believe it just stretches the bounds of credibility that these weren't forwarded and commented on by a lot of people, and the toxic workplace goes back to Dan Snyder. I will say on Dan Snyder's behalf, and I can't say I can't believe I'm saying anything on Dan Snyder's behalf, but he's not likable, and there are people who want to crush him for that. Now that aside, maybe he's not likable because he's said and done a lot of stuff in the way he's treated people and what he's overlooked. Do you think the NFL is sitting on info about him because clearly stuff was selectively leaked about Gruden to make Mark Davis make a decision and make a move and get rid of Gruden? Yeah, you know, when, when the whole Washington football team changing its image, getting away from the Redskins and trying to find a new, you know, mascot and everything else came out, you, fought, you heard about all these stories about Dan Snyder and his relationship with women and the toxic environment that he created within, you know, the, the Washington football team's organization. And, and then you heard about the possibility of pressure be put on by Roger Goodell and the other owners to maybe relinquish his ownership rights of the team. And I've always been with the mindset, like, how are you going to force somebody to sell something? You know, but at the same point, I'm taken back to the time um, when the, the Benson, who owned the, the Saints, when he was still alive, that they were unhappy with the way he was running the organization. They thought he was running the ground, and there was, there was speculation and rumors out there that they were going to try to get it from under him. And then Hurricane Katrina had happened, and you know they, 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 the, the NFL wanted to make sure that they gave the, the people of New Orleans something to, to look forward to. And of course, the Saints ended up winning the Super Bowl, but that's another conspiracy theory for another day. But long story short, um, when it comes to Snyder and other owners, I'm always curious on how they're going to force the hand of powerful men or powerful people or powerful conglomerates like that. Um, but there's a, where there's a way, will there's a way. Uh, they find, you know, I, I think they, they can get things done, especially when you look at 
or Buffalo. It's a completely different situation. But the Buffalo Bills speculating that they might go to Canada or move elsewhere, how it was able to find some ownership to be able to keep that, that team in Buffalo for the time being. Uh, things like that have happened in big, big business. It goes on behind closed doors all the, all the time. We just, as a general public, have a hard time figuring out how it happened or why it happened uh, and, and see if, if that it can happen again. What Coach Gruden wrote was obviously we agree, unacceptable, we believe the punishment fits the crime and all that stuff. I'm wondering through your years of experience and interaction with uh, dozens and probably hundreds, if not thousands of people, had you heard anything, any inkling at all regarding Gruden with those words? Did actions meet the words? Because words are words and it's not good. I'm not condoning it at all. But you'd have to think action would be worse than the words because then you're putting it into play. So do you know of any instance where anybody has anything to say regarding his actions connecting to those words? Honestly, no. Honestly, no. I've I've had my time in dealing with Gruden. I thought that we were pretty cool with one another. We were always on, you know, high speaking terms. I never got an inkling of a feeling that, that he felt that way. Never. Never saw anything, never heard anything, never felt anything. Uh, so that's why it was so surprising. You know, and a number of emails, and then, the, 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 you know, the things that, that were shared. Him and Bruce Allen, as I said at the top of the, the interview, I, I worked under those guys. Right. You know, and never had a sense, never had a feeling that way. Now, guys will be guys, and I will say this. It's not excusable, but, you know, there was, a, there was a time in my life, in my 50 years, where I've used some of those words. I'm not a saint. I've used some of those words. And it, I don't think it necessarily meant it in a, in a, I mean, I've used them in a context or a place in which they were talking, and this is just what you know, people do at times. Yeah. Not saying it's excusable, but you would expect better... You would, you would expect better out of people who are in positions of power or positions like that. Now, Gruden, mind you, at the time when he sent the emails, was working for ESPN as an announcer. I don't know if he ever planned on getting back into coaching again. But the fact that he sent them to a team website or a team email, the Washington football team, made it public. He had to realize that this was going to be public. Or things that were done in the dark will eventually come to light. And the fact that the you know the the, the New York Times and the NFL was you know uh, investigating Dan Snyder, so that's one of the reasons why they were going through these things. You know, you had to feel or had to suspicion had to have the suspicion that eventually they would come to light and hurt you and bite you in the ass. And that's exactly what they did. So obviously the football part is not even remotely close to the most important part of this, but the football will go on and people will wonder about it. Is this Raider season shot? Can this be a playoff team? They had a bad game in Game 5. I don't know how much this was known inside the organization and how much that played a factor in a performance that didn't look nearly as good as some of their other performances. What do you think? Well, I will say this. Um, On the football side of things, I think it's actually good for the team because here's what I've, I've thought for forever. I wanted Gruden to relinquish play calling as the offensive coordinator, mainly because I wanted somebody to take the emotion out of it. I thought that Gruden wasn't able to see the field clearly, being down on the sideline, calling it from the sideline, and no other coaches do it. But I've always been of the, of the mindset that an offensive or defensive coordinator needs to be upstairs, needs to see it from a bird's eye view like I do as an analyst calling the games and take the emotion out of it. Call the game logically and what you see with the flow from your vantage point. You can't do that on the sideline. So 
if there's one promising sign that might come out of all this, Derek Carr and Roman know this offense. Also know this offense um, back and forth. Uh, if anything is to be had from this, it's the possibility that you you get the play caller upstairs to be able to see everything, which might bode well for the offense because they do have weapons, and this is a talented team. They were incredibly flat this past Sunday against the Bears. I don't know if the, if the information that they heard about the, the email or the possibility played into that, but they were incredibly flat, no rhythm. And, of course, you always, I, I always give credit to the other side because those guys get paid too. Chicago Bears came in with a great game plan. Game plan. They ran the ball down the Raiders' th- uh, throat. They were more physical on both sides of the ball, and the Raiders were soundly beat. That happens. Showdown here in Salt Lake City Saturday night. Who do you buy more, the Devils or the Utes? How about those Utes, huh? Yeah. Yeah, how about them? Um, really well played. I've got to finish watching the ESC film uh, today. Uh, and ASU looked, looked, looked strong as well. But ASU has given Utah fits in the past. So um, it's, it's one of those games of whether or not you think they can get them. I think the Utes are ready for them. I think they are. I think they've had enough warm-up, enough challenges through this season to say that they're ready for ASU. I expect it to be a close game. UCLA's already got the loss to uh, ASU, so if yeah. ASU wins this, they are sitting pretty. Uh, and UCLA's got a difficult game this weekend. Do you think UCLA pulls it off, or are they going to back out of this race all, all on their own? No, I think they pull it off and they make it interesting. That's the great thing about the Pac-12. I, I like the competitive side. And, and, and nothing is a foregone conclusion, a conclusion especially, well, I guess we're in the middle of the season, if you look at it that way, um, the possibility. But I think UCLA is going to make it close. Uh, and it's going to be decided between the, the winner of this game between ASU and, and, and Utah. So, Lincoln, being a Phoenix kid myself, I always stop to get uh, Coke Zero in Wickenburg. I do not stop in WikiUp, but I do stop to get gas and maybe a snack in Kingman. How'd you handle that drive? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I tell you what, guys, it was not, it was, you know, Saturday, I think around, was it around 2? I think around 2 or 3, I got the text message on my phone that my flight had been canceled. And I was supposed to leave around 7 that night. So I was like, you know what, i got to get up to Vegas for the game. So I, I jumped on the road. There was a lot of traffic going into Vegas because there was a, a big weekend. Yeah, it, was a, yeah. it was a big sports weekend. You had the, the Fury and Wilder fight right. on Saturday. You had, I think, the Aces played the, the, the Mercury um, and, yep. and the, and the playoff game on Friday. Yeah. Uh, of course, you had the big game Sunday. There were a lot of Bears fans coming into town. It's, it's a big sports weekend in Vegas. So there was a lot of traffic going up there. Had a couple accidents. Probably took me about five and a half, six hours to get there. Uh, and I was not happy by the time I got there. I was not happy. No, I wasn't. I was, I was dog tired. I was not happy. Well, thank goodness they put the bridge over the dam and also exactly. the freeway so you don't have to go through Boulder City anymore. True story. True. Very, very true story. I mean, I was thankful for that. But there was a couple of, there was, a, there was an accident on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the, the ramp of, coming out of Kingman. Um, there was an accident there and there was also another accident that slowed things down. So it just made things rough. While doing the game and seeing that pathetic performance out of the silver and black, I'm like, 
man, I still have to drive back. <laughs> and, I, and, 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 of course, I wanted to jump on the road because I knew it was going to get dark quickly and, and I wanted to get on the road. And it, was, it, was, it took me about five hours to get back, but I was so doggone tired and so doggone frustrated <laughs> with the performance I saw and everything else. I was just like, I just want to forget this weekend altogether. And then, lo and behold, Monday night, I get the information that my phone starts ringing off the hook about Gruden. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I said, it just doesn't, it, it just doesn't get any better than this so, or any worse than this. So it's been a, it's been a trying weekend, and I'm still recovering. But, look, I, I've got to worry about from if, if Southwest is going to continue to cancel these flights because they're the airline I, I, I use. I'm not driving to Denver, damn it. I'm not driving to Denver, so we got to figure out something. Uh, maybe Frontier. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we appreciate it. Thank you, Lincoln. Thanks, guys. We'll talk next week, okay? Okay, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, Pac-12 Network Analyst. You saw him at Pac-12 Media Day, and now he's here firsthand for information, a personal relationship with Gruden. I can't believe it's played out this way. You were thinking, well, here's a guy who can talk about the Pac-12. The Raiders moved to Vegas. He gets the radio analyst job. Gruden gets hired. Well, he had it in Oakland. He was doing sidelines. When you I, right, he was doing sidelines, yeah. But I mean, I, now I, he's a, obviously yeah. I've known him since he was a player. He, he was, was a, a for an offensive lineman. He was a massive name. I mean, he's offensive a lineman, human being. He is <laughs> offensive linemen tend to be more anonymous, but he was so good that. And they have up at the Husky Stadium. They have banners on the outside, huge banners up at the top. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like probably thirty feet or something of of famous players, noteworthy, and he's one of them. So uh, well, if his if his Washington Husky. Huskies can beat UCLA this weekend, that would be a big deal for both Utah and ASU. Uh, I'm not ruling them out, man. I think they're gonna if even if I rule them out, I think they're going to have a say. Right, and they which can is have what a, I said all right. season long, and they can have preseason. A, they can have a say in the South by being UCLA and giving the Bruins a second loss. Well, no, I mean the Bruins. Oh, oh I, I see what you're saying. I'm not ruling the Bruins out, even if they lose. They still could have a significant say because I said in August and before that they will be a tough out this year, and I still believe that. There's nothing has happened for me to think otherwise. Right. So that just means they can come in and they can come in and beat Utah. That's what it comes down to because now they've lost. That's, that's the they've very lost thing, to ASU. Yeah, they've already lost to them. You're right. And and USC, who we thought could be a big game, they got all sorts of issues with three home losses and three Pac-12 losses. The only thing that's going to save them is if Dart gets himself back into the lineup and they feel a sense of revitalization. So Utah, uh, I think so far has been fortunate. In fact, why don't we just wait and we'll hit this when we come back? All right, we'll do that next. Stay with us, DJ and PK, ninety-seven-five at twelve eighty the zone. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a bye week, the Aggies look to keep their Mountain West Conference Championship hopes alive as they head south to Las Vegas for a battle against the Rebels of UNLV. Hear all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at 4. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. We were just talking with Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst. Played for John Gruden, calling the games, and the most of the conversation was about that. But we talked Pac-12 football at the end. He's also a Pac-12 network analyst. And 
Does Washington have a chance to beat UCLA? He played at Washington. Obviously, Utah and Arizona State would not mind seeing UCLA get beat up there in Seattle. So you were thinking. I think that, I, and I've said this consistently, I think that particularly in the Pac-12, because that's the conference I follow the most, is that a lot of times the factors in when you play the teams that you play. Because right. I think Utah caught a break without Delora playing for Washington Are State. Are you getting any pushback on that? Because that seems spot on. Yes. He's, as a starter, I mean, he was lights out against Oregon State with yeah. the game on the line. My gosh. Yeah, I get pushback if I say clean air is good for Yeah, that's a pushback on something else. <laughs> clean air is good, and obviously Washington State. You and, know, there are teams and where And you don't like the inversion. I remember you said that I don't, that, that so I'm totally with you on the clean air thing. It's okay when you say it, but it's bad when I say it. I get that. So Yeah, but I was joking. And you're serious. You do like clean air. Yeah. <laughs> But hate, there, are teams where there, there are teams where there isn't a big drop-off between the starting quarterback uh, and the second-string quarterback. That's only if the starting quarterback isn't good enough. Uh, BYU didn't have a big drop-off. Right, I knew you would go there. Well, but that's also true. That not in the Pac-12. What, USC didn't have a big drop-off. When they went to their backup quarterback, they lit up Washington State. Uh, for a half. So there is a big drop-off other places, and there's a big drop-off at Washington State. And if you weren't paying attention and didn't know that, the last game should have reminded you. And then by your saying that, I think Utah caught a break playing SC early. Because I think when Dart comes back, he can energize the team. And he should be back here soon. So I think that they're 2-0, and but... There are two games that they absolutely should have won. Now, the flip side of it... You're supposed to win the games you're supposed to win. So where's the, the big win, the hard win? ASU. This is one, <laughs> sure, for sure. This yeah. is the one, right. And, and I think that the flip side of it is they'll be on the wrong end of playing Stanford when they play. doesn't mean they can't win, but McKee looks like he is a player who's going to develop big time. To me. Now, I'm not a, a quarterback whisperer, but I did tell you Brewer wasn't the guy. And I told you long before they even made the decision. And I might have been right on that one, luckily. Stanford uh, on November 5th. Right. And so the so thinking Friday is night. he'll be every, better. He'll has, be better. With every passing week, every passing month, yeah, he's got to so pick the, up steam. The Devils caught a break by playing Stanford early right. or in the season. So I think that stuff matters. So all these breaks, but they even out also. Utah was catching a They may not break. even out in a literal season, but they e- even out over time. Okay, but in this case, Utah was catching a break early in the year against Washington State, and while ASU was catching a break early in the year against Stanford. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, uh, yeah. Now you got to take advantage of those breaks. Yeah. I, I think Stanford for Utah is going to be tough to beat in, uh, what, uh, just under four weeks on that Friday night, November 5th. So will 7-2 and two win the division? Yes. If you have the tiebreaker. Yes. ASU, if, if Utah beats ASU, you think ASU will get another loss? 7-2, and two, I think, is a really good season in the right. conference. So, yeah. I think that I don't think either of these teams are going 9-0, and 8-1. So get to 7-2, and two, hold the tiebreaker, you ought to be in good shape. I think that's what, that's what it'll come down to. And I couldn't necessarily tell you which two. Oregon, Stanford, 
UCLA. There's plenty of tough games out there. Yes, and then they each have to play each other, which obviously one is going to get a loss. So uh, acknowledging that the Devils go 4-0, they're in a great spot, but they haven't done anything to be on easy street. I don't think they're that good. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is the year. Maybe they just sucked against BYU and and were offsides 47 times and got their act together. I I can't say that. Maybe they have. Who knows? I'm going to be on a podcast tonight with this guy from uh, uh, ASU who uh, I've known for a little bit, and he's convinced. Now, he's a hardcore fan. His father is the announcer. He just mm-hmm. loves the Devils through and through. Uh, but he's convinced. He told me all oh, the 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 road to the, the Pasadena goes through Tempe, and I'm thinking, buddy, I'm a little older than you, and I've heard that a few times. Like, <laughs> and if in, the road does go through Tempe, in, then that's fine. In the it's '80s, a, when a, all they had to do was beat the U of A, all they had to do was beat Washington. People think there was a big transition period for the Devils when they went in the conference. There wasn't. Those were the good old days. They really were. They Those were, were the set best up of times. Big time. Their program was in much better shape then than it is now, and they had multiple opportunities, and they. And they finally did get it done, what, seven, eight years into it. But they had three opportunities before that, and they only had to win one game. So this guy might want to tone down his cockiness just a little bit. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, joins us next. Stay with us.